Welcome to the first ever edition of the Healthcare Real Estate Insights podcast. My name is Murray Wolf, and I am the publisher and founding editor of HREI Magazine. HREI was launched in January 2003 and was the first and remains the only national print and digital magazine totally focused on covering the latest news and trends in healthcare real estate development, financing, and investment. If you're not familiar with HREI, please visit our website at hreinsights.com where we have more than 5,000 pages of content spanning nearly 15 years of covering the healthcare real estate industry. HREI also launched the first annual directory of healthcare real estate professional services, now in its 10th year, and the first awards program for the space, the HREI Insights Awards, now in their fifth year. This podcast is the latest foray in our ongoing effort to continue to expand the HREI brand and media platform into additional channels to deliver ever greater value for our subscribers. After exploring the idea for a number of years, we recently decided to move ahead with the launch of a healthcare real estate podcast series in 2018. But sometimes fate has other ideas. While we were in Dallas recently, we had the unexpected chance to interview three of the key players in the $230 million Harrison Street portfolio acquisition just days after the deal had closed. It was such a great opportunity and such an amazing story that we decided it would be the perfect way to kick off our podcast series. So rather than waiting for 2018, we are excited to bring it to you right now. Before we launch into the interview, here's the backstory. As someone who follows the healthcare real estate space, you probably already know that Med Properties Holdings closed one of the sector's biggest deals of the year on September 5th, the acquisition of the first 15 properties of the so-called Harrison Street portfolio, which included 17 assets in 10 states, totaling more than 620,000 square feet. In its September 13th news release announcing the transaction, Med Properties noted that several of the buildings had been threatened by Hurricanes Harvey and Irma, but emerged unscathed. But what you don't know is the amazing behind-the-scenes story of how the deal came together, despite an almost unbelievable series of obstacles. Med Properties pulled off its biggest ever transaction in six months, despite not only two hurricanes, but also a cyber attack on the seller's law firm, the birth of two babies, a fried phone system, a trip to the emergency room, an ambulance ride, and so much more. So it's a little wonder that the participants referred to the epic deal as the perfect storm. With me in Dallas for this podcast were Daryl Freeling, a managing principal with Med Properties Holdings, the buyer, Steve Hewitt, a senior VP with the Sanders Trust, one of the three sellers, and Chris Bodnar, an executive VP with CBRE, who co-leads the firm's healthcare capital markets group which was the broker. We conducted the interview in an otherwise vacant meeting room at the Weston Galleria Dallas during a break from the September 14th Interface Healthcare Real Estate Conference, which we all happened to be attending. So please excuse a few small instances of background noise at one or two points during the recording. After my opening question, the next voice you will hear is Mr. Bodnar, whose team marketed the portfolio. Then Mr. Freeling picks up the tale, and along the way, you'll also hear periodically from Mr. Hewitt. Hopefully, you'll come to recognize the voices as we go along, or at least be able to figure out who's who by the nature of their comments. The Perfect Storm, 
It's a one-of-a-kind story, and I hope you enjoy it. So, you have quite a story to tell. I don't even know where to start. When did this all when did this all start uh, coming about? Start with started you, with him. Chris? Maybe get a little closer. Yeah, I mean, we, we had the, the good fortune to um, work with Harrison Street on this this deal, and Harrison Street's partners for these properties in the portfolio were were Sanders Trust and Pasula Development, um, two first class operators and developers of healthcare real estate. Um, you know, these are were great facilities that uh, that Harrison Street was able to aggregate and took a lot of time to determine the right makeup for the portfolio. There was some some pulling out of some different properties to make sure that we had the right mix and, you know, age of assets, lease term remaining, um, credit on the deal, and went and through some, a... some direct-owned yeah, assets as well from Harrison. And some direct-owned assets with Harrison Street as well. Um, went through a very, very competitive process and uh, came down, you know, long story short, to a conversation that I actually had with um, who ultimately ended up being the lender on the deal um, and one of the equity participants in the deal at the ULI conference in Seattle. And um, they gave me real strong um, references and um, very strong, you know, statements that this deal was going to get done uh, by Daryl and, and his team and reported that back to Steve and to Harrison Street and to Pasula Development. Um, and, you know, I, there were a lot of players in the industry, which you guys will, will probably talk about, that were part of that, that, that process. But uh, a lot of questions by, by Steve and, and by the Pasulas and by Harrison Street to make sure that, that Med Properties could execute on this deal. And ultimately, they did what they said they could, they could do, despite uh, a little foreshadowing here, a lot of curveballs being thrown in the process. It was interesting. We're sitting here at the Interface Conference right now. The last one was in March. In Los Angeles, I was on the flight. That's right. It started before the you yeah. the, the the ULI conference. Yeah, in Seattle. I mean, I was I was on a on the flight out to LA, and on my iPad, and I got your teaser. Yeah. On this deal, and I looked at the portfolio before even knowing who had put it together, and I said, "This looks like a portfolio that we would have either invested in the development of or aggregated ourselves." Um, you know, for much of what we do, it's ground up development or value add. We, we have been working and have made a number of acquisitions outside of our fund discretionary fund structure to acquire stabilized assets. But if we're doing it outside of our fund, it requires us to raise money on it on a deal by deal basis. Um, but I loved all these assets and I pulled Chris aside when I got to LA and I said, we're gonna buy this portfolio. Um, little did we know uh, the challenges that we're gonna get involved but uh, that was the start of it and so you know we put we put our bid in first round bid um, had some hiccups between our first round bid and our second round bid um, but ultimately we're able to uh, pull together the capital stack from some conventional and unconventional sources to uh, get it under contract and that was it was it was challenging there was no point in the transaction that it wasn't challenging um, the fact that we had three effectively three sellers we had we priced the portfolio, you know, individual assets, but as a portfolio. But we had three buyers within that selling group, 
three sellers. And three different offers. Uh, and having to um, work within themselves, amongst themselves, about how we're how they're going to allocate pricing, and it inevitably involved us seeing where we had movement and trying to accommodate the needs. Everybody was working together to make it was, a, it was clearly an exercise of everybody trying to make everybody happy, and a lot of compromise, I'm sure, on y'all side. And on our side, as we shifted some of the individual pricing around to meet your your groups and, and, and the Pasulas and Harrison Street's objectives on that. Now, before we dig into some of the details and the twists and turns of the actual transaction, Chris, can you say a little more about you know why these 18 properties and kind of why was the portfolio constructed this way and why did they not just go with kind of a, a clean and simple Harrison Street only owned portfolio and why did they blend the properties together I mean it's 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 still the way it has been over the last 24 36 months that you know there is a portfolio premium to be paid by aggregating assets together so um, the 18 that we we started off with you know it evolved over time um, but you know what we what we're looking at which I, I referenced earlier is you know how do you aggregate the right portfolio that has you know the right average remaining term left um, you know quality of of construction meaning it was recently you know built and average age of the facilities isn't isn't too old um, and then what do the operators look like good lease term good lease terms yeah the other um, the other thing that was um, probably a little bit of a curveball to some buyers and gave us an advantage is although the portfolio was predominantly MOB. Uh, you had three rehab hospitals and a behavioral health hospital and a surgical hospital, all performing wonderfully. Uh, you know, fortunately for us, we, we've played a lot in the surgical hospital and rehab space. We, you know, probably Sanders and Med Properties probably have a bigger presence at that space, as, as big a presence as anybody. We understand uh, those property types very well are we like them and we are we're comfortable underwriting to them and I think that that for some that probably was more of a challenge um, and you know Capital One which was our lender our senior lender on it um, they don't generally make loans right now on rehab hospitals they do with us because we've done so much with them and they're very comfortable in our underwriting of those assets um, but I think Steve you mentioned that was a possible concern on y'all's part, but we've done so much with Capital One, what they will do with us is not necessarily what they'll do with everybody. Well, you know, I think the, uh, Murray, you made the, the, the point about and asking Chris about the portfolio, how did it come together? I mean, when we're a seller, we look at it from a buyer's perspective and we want, we know that buyers want a diversified portfolio of good assets. And, you know, there's some buyers out there that only want medical office buildings, they want them on campus. Well, that's a small, smaller and smaller group today. But what I think the beauty of our joint venture with Harrison Street is that we have the ability, we know what we have in our own portfolio. But when we get ready to go to market on something, the first call that I make is to Harrison Street say, okay, we've got these assets. We think we're overweighted in this area. You know, we look around your portfolio and what can you add to this mix to bring all this together? So what we ended up with here is Harrison Street with properties in, you know, looked in their, in their core fund. We ended up to put something in. We've had Pasula Development, who is also an operating partner to Harrison Street. 
looking at what they could bring to the table, and then we had uh, 11 of the of the 18 properties uh, in the you know that we contributed to the portfolio, and out of the 11, uh, only seven of those properties were joint venture assets with Harrison Street. So it was just an interesting you know combination of of all those factors and. Uh, the three groups came together with one contract. So we, it wasn't that we had three, yes, we had three separate sellers, but we had one buyer group and we had one contract that represented all of the, all the assets. Fascinating. And, and what, what made that possible? I mean, why were you willing to all work together? You're talking about on the sell side or the? Well, on the sell side, first of all. Well, we like each other. <laughs> Now we've, you know, this is a small industry. It's, a, it's kind of a fraternity business. Everybody knows everybody. It seems like that, you know, that are really committed to the space. And we knew that, uh, you know, Med Properties is very similar to the Sanders Trust in terms of, you know, platform size. And you know, these are people we, you know, know and we we trusted. And you know, we knew it was a big deal for, for them, and it was a big deal for us on the selling side. I think this is probably the biggest. <coughs> The most enjoyable part of this for us at Med Properties uh, was to, to transact with people who are friends, but also in many instances um, very much competitors. Um, you know, we are Harrison Street's a much bigger version of what we do. We invest directly as they do, but we also invest through joint venture relationships like they do with Sanders or Pasulas. We've had we've expressed an interest to Steve for a long time about doing business with them, and so mo mo more often than not, we're in the position that they are as sellers. We've invested in either ground up development, value add acquisition, and now we're turning around and selling into the stabilized market. This kind of reversed here, and this is part of our expanded strategy to not only continue to do value-add investments through development and value-add acquisitions, but to buy and aggregate stabilized core or stabilized assets. So this put us on the other side of the transaction with people who we have a very similar business model with on the fund side. Um, and when we looked at these assets, um, they looked like assets that we would have invested in the ground-up development or value-add basis, but in a switch, we were now on the acquisition side. Um, but was, what was particularly gratifying was to, to be working with people who we compete with, in some instances want to do business with, and for them, including Chris, to take a chance, an execution risk chance on us relative to some potential other buyers who were paying all cash and, you know, probably be done a lot quicker. And, you know, I, from, from our standpoint, it was obvious that it was based upon a relationship and a desire and a friendship to help us succeed in doing something which was for us a, a milestone transaction. Yeah, you know, I'll add on to that. I thought it was going to be more challenging for us as the advisor on the deal, too, dealing with three separate sellers and going through our, you know, marketing reports and, and marketing calls with Sanders Trust. Pasula and Harrison Street, you know, first we're like, do we do these separately? You know, do we do them together? And it was very much, you know, a, a kind of fraternal thing on the seller side where they do it, do it together. Everything's transparent. Um, and it made it very easy for, for CBRE to do, to do our job too. And, and this is just getting to the point of actually deciding and signing a letter of intent. And there were a lot of twists and turns, which I've told you a little bit about offline. And, you know, between our first round bid and our, ultimately our, 
our, our final LOI. And again, it was a function of really more of relationships, I think, than anything else. So then we got it under we got another letter of intent, and that was that was literally the day before Boma in Denver. Flew up there, saw Steve, saw the guys with Harrison Street, saw the Pasula brothers, and uh, off we went. And so then it became you know time was now time to you know to structure the deal and. Just the structure on our side has its own unique story. We uh, this was a, a large transaction for us. Um, we've got plenty of capital in our fund, and it's discreet. Well, I mean, before we before we got under letter of intent, we had to establish not only for ourselves, but for Steve and Harrison Street people and Sula Brothers that we had the capacity to close. Um, and so we really put the capital stack together. Before that, that was part of. Our, you know, our conversation with them that we can close and giving them a confidence level that we can do this, but they knew that this was a transaction of a size that was historically beyond our what we've done before on the equity side. You know, Capital One's there; they've got plenty of money. We were a, a, a big customer of theirs, and we had no no questions about that. Um, uh, we knew that internally through our traditional sources we could raise a significant amount of capital equity, but we were going to need some help. And um, I ended up um, talking to John Thomas, the CEO of DocReed, who we've done a lot of different transactions with in a lot of different ways. Um, and uh, we came up with a cre creative structure for them to put some capital in the deal uh, uh, in a way which got us over the hump on the equity side. Um, and then uh, brought uh, Kane Anderson, David Selznick, who's a good friend and the chief investment officer for um, Kane Anderson, who they finance one of our biggest competitors in MB, but David's a good friend. They had a MESDEP program within Kane, and so he committed to a MESDEP piece. So we, we now had you know, three sellers, um, our own internal group of equity, a public company putting in a, a piece of, of capital, a senior lender, and a MESDEP lender. Uh, but the com complications didn't stop there because, as a within it, on an 18 asset portfolio uh, with a five or six year holding period, we really needed flexibility to sell assets and make some moves on these assets. We're not going to hold all 18 for six years, um, and so with the simple intent of wanting to sell off assets periodically, and and we had a creative structure to deliver. Um, a cash-on-cash cash uh, return to our investors, which if you just looked at it, simple economics of a, of a deal where this was priced and what the cash-on-cash cash returns were, it would be significantly lower than what we needed to return to make our LPs happy. We came up with a creative structure, but that structure required what ended up being a completely custom, as, as Eric Tellison said, a bespoke senior and mezzanine, and with Doc in there as well, um, structure which was unique. The, the senior debt structure was unique to anything that Capital One had ever done. The mezzanine debt was unique to anything they had ever done. And the intercreditor agreement was unique to anything that they'd ever done. Uh, you know, typically, mez debt never gets paid down before senior debt's paid off and entirely. But what we were able to negotiate is releases when we wanted to sell, where everybody got paid down Pro rata. It sounds simple, but it's not. It's not the norm. It's not conventional in a senior debt, mes debt structure. So we, again, debt, this doesn't happen without guys like Capital One, entrepreneurs like Kane Anderson to sit down and say, we're throwing out the book on what's conventional. How do we, as pr 
forget lenders, how do we as participants in this transaction, because at the end of the day, everybody's putting capital in for a business reason to get a return. How do we as a participant figure out how to create a, a, a custom piece for whatever it is we're doing in a way that ultimately um, facilitates the business strategy, strategy that med properties have? So we ended up with a custom debt piece, senior debt piece, a custom MES debt piece, a custom investment from DocRead, all of which was integrated into our overall strategy. So that in and of itself um, was a, and we did most of this before we went under letter of intent. Yeah, and, and it's you know, explaining that to the seller side too, so they have full transparency as well before they make their selection on the buyer. Um, and to have a sophisticated seller like the Sanders Trust and Basula and, and frankly Harrison Street, who like you said is a larger version of version of you, uh, Med Properties, um, understanding and having actually those relationships with Capital One as well on their side to trust that and, and um, you agree that this structure is something that can be accomplished. Right. Well, and, and Truth be known, I mean, Daryl knows this and Chris knows this. I, we were literally one day away from making a different decision and who we were going to sell to. Yeah. And it was the tenacity of Daryl and his partner Roman uh, to, you know, create this unique structure that we were not going to, the other buyer we were looking at, I'm not going to name them, but it uh, it was a little smaller subset of the total portfolio size and what was really compelling to us uh, was that you know Daryl's uh, the med properties proposal was to buy all of the properties that some would be you know core fund type assets others would be opportunity fund uh, plays and that's why this interesting group of parties came to, uh, came into being and uh, you know the doc reap piece in particular was was a unique solution that that Daryl and Roman came up with and that's that's why it wasn't it wasn't you know a pricing decision as much as it was you know hey you know they they executed on they achieved what we needed they wanted to buy all of the properties and that's really what we wanted to do and you know that's to everybody's credit i mean it, as it, as daryl said everybody deal, worked together deal like this doesn't get done it doesn't get done not a chance without having the people that were involved all of whom knew each other and trusted each other and were friends and supporting each other's efforts. I mean, that, and again, that's probably the most gratifying for us to have half the industry, half the big players in the industry supporting what we were doing and our aspirations. It's really, that's, that's probably the best part of all of yes. this. I will say too, that to Med Properties credit too, just the way they're structured as a fund, I think gives them much, much more flexibility um, in allocations and how they look at properties. Very entrepreneurial. Very entrepreneurial versus, you know, there are the benefits going with the all-cash REIT buyer as well, but they have some more limitations in, in what they can flex on and, um, you know, accommodate what the seller's looking for. I, I talked to Roman uh, this morning, and he made a really good observation, and that is that oftentimes in transactions that are as complex as this, that lawyers get in the middle too much and that can be a little bit of I'm not saying that we didn't have our share of legal fees because we on both sides we did uh, but a lot of times lawyers can be you know obstructionists in, in getting a deal done and 
the business people were always directly communicating here. We were working directly through CB. We, you know, Daryl and I were talking one on one. I mean, it's pretty rare. I mean, I was talking with with buyers counsel directly. I, I spent yeah. as much time talking to Steve's lawyers. I got to know everybody's counsel. But to your point, I mean, just to get this under contract. Um, there was three different law firms working on the purchase and sale agreements. I called Chris up, and I, of all the people here, I did not know Brian Mutchler, who was running the deal for Harrison Street. Chris said, call him up, and I called him up, and I said, look. Now, now do I ever, do I usually let any buyer talk to my seller? You said no. First, first time. He said, go do it. I called Brian up, and I said, look, my goal is the same as yours. I don't care about having the most perfect contract. My goal is to close. Your goal is to close. And I said this on an early call, and Steve, you'll remember this. I said, as principals, we're all on both sides of the transaction. We are buyers and we are sellers all the time. So we don't try to take a different view as to what's fair on a given issue, depending upon whether we're the buyer or the seller. We try to stay consistent as to our view. And I talked to Brian Mitchell, and I said, I'm asking for your immediate direct involvement in this deal. No. The irony behind the whole thing is that Daryl and Roman are attorneys, too. So. <laughs> True. Um, which probably makes it a little bit more, a little bit more in the weeds, that one. In, in any event, um, it, it was a function, as Steve said, of, of all the principals talking. And that, that occurred throughout the entire trial, just processing the diligence on 18 assets, particularly for a firm our size. Mm -hmm. 18 assets in 10 states. 45 days to do it, and I told Brian, I'm going to close this before Labor Day, before our closing day. And we would have done it, but for um, a couple of hurricanes. Yeah, tell us a little bit about uh, that twist. So, um, uh, one thing I'll get into before the hurricanes, though, um, I will say that going under contract, Sellers Council was part of a global cyber attack, too, and uh, the seller's attorneys finished the purchase and sale agreement in the seller's office on the seller's computers and not their own. So we got it, we actually got the contract signed uh, the day for the Friday before 4th of July weekend. I went up to Aspen with my wife and I slept for two days. I literally slept for two days and didn't get out. We got back. So now we're pulling the trigger on all the diligence. Um, we hired a, an outside firm who does this regularly. They did it for Doc on the Duke deal that um, processes and goes through and reconciles rent rolls and they lease abstract and reconcile all that to the Argus rents and they did a phenomenal job. So they're cranking on that. We've got property condition assessment guys, environmental guys, appraisal guys combing the country going on this. We're doing all of our diligence. 80 10-day interviews. By the way, Sabrina did a phenomenal job. She is an unsung hero in this. Sabrina Solomiani um, on our team. Yep. She did a phenomenal. So now we're processing and executing, and we're going through loan documents, and we're going through the whole capital structure and documenting things with Physicians Realty. Um, um, we've got our private placement memorandum done. We've got subscription agreements coming in from all of the investors, and we're doing all the loan documentation as well. You know, our loan agreements on for both the MES lender and the senior lenders are probably 250 pages each. Um, we had four assets that were on ground leases, all of which 
precluded cross-collateralization. So we had to come up with a way to do it what Capital One ended up calling a synthetic cross. So it's not technically a cross in violation of the, of the ground leases, but it, from the lender standpoint, it was a cross. As a result, we ended up with 21 different entities on our side just to structure, create the, the mezzanine structure, the senior lend structure, and the cross collateral, uh, the, the synthetic cross structure. Very complex. And then layering into this, this very unique structure whereby we can sell and release assets, pay down senior, pay down mez, pay down part of dock. Very, very complex interaction. Um, and then we you know, just the typical complexities. You've got 18 assets, and you always have things going on in any assets. One of the tenants filed BK. Very, very profitable um, hospital operation locally. Company is going through a, a, a prepackaged reorganization. It's going to come out stronger than they were before. And their facility there is doing quite well, and it's a beautiful asset. So we decided to pull that asset out for a, a time until they come out of reorganization. If they come out the way their prepackaged reorganization looks like, we're gonna, they're going to be a better tenant than they were before. We had to peel that out and figure out a way to postpone that for, for, for three months. Um, lots of twists and turns, lots of complicated estoppels, groundless or consents, um, I mean, on and on and on. Yeah, tenants don't have to do what you ask them to do when you want them to do it. But, to say that but, but it speaks to you know the Sanders Trust and uh, Pasula Development's relationships with those tenants to have that personal connection to call on them to to get it to the finish line. No doubt, no doubt. You're seeing hospitals look closer at exercising their rofers, their right of first refusals, and um, one of the hospitals. Uh, that was affiliated with the one of the MOBs that we were selling uh, was a you know tenant-owned hospital that got purchased by HCA uh, in the middle of basically our our process and they did exercise their right of first refusal. Yep. So that's and, how we got to 17 from 18. Right, and, right. and also so we had that going on in the middle of this, and also the behavioral health hospital in Coatesville, Pennsylvania, outside of Philly, it was a Brandywine hospital. It was a uh, a behavioral health hospital attached to a, a, a primary hospital campus and in the middle of the transaction Reading system acquired that hospital so in the, so we were we were having to yeah, juggle into a contract that deal still has not closed yeah, so but, but, but we had you know who, who do you get who do you get the the rofer consents from who do you get the ground lessor consents from the same thing was going on at HCA and the tenant deal, but they ended up they ended up exercising their option, which is disappointing because that asset's full now. Darn it! Yeah, that was another wrinkle. There's probably a dozen other wrinkles we haven't remembered yeah. to talk about. So just so I can remember some of these things, Steve, you had a power surge at your office that fried your phone system, so you had no phones for four days, right? That's right. Um, DLA, Sellers Council got hacked, global, uh, their entire office, this is a global, real, yeah, you can just cyber attack. Yeah, they yeah, cyber no, I attack. think I heard about that, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Meslender's offices, corporate offices were in Florida and were evacuating at the time of funding. You uh, I mentioned the uh, uh, Capital One syndicated part of the they, deal. They syndicated part of the, lo part of the loan. Yeah. And this has been going on since March.
So a six-month process. It's a six-month process. Yeah, pretty much around the clock. Yeah. So this process is going on for many weeks. Um, we're rolling into the weekend before Labor Day. Week of closing. Yeah. Week of closing. We were going to close. Our technical closing date was on September 5th. We were going to close on the 31st, which was before Labor Day, as promised. And Harvey starts rolling through. And we've got four assets in Houston. And understandably, um, lenders are concerned. We're concerned. You're seeing everything on TV. Tenants are concerned. Tenants are concerned. And um, again, as a, as a deal person, time kills deals. I mean, you've got everybody wound so tight. You're, and you deal this complicated and this many moving pieces unless you draw a line in the sand and say we're closing and you keep hammering people no it's not going to be the next day it's going to be that day it will never get done so you process you've got people wound lawyers you got people wound so tight and you know if you let that pressure off it it, it just things explode and you know you don't want that to happen so along comes harvey so everybody's about ready to back off and said no get the pca guys back down there Partners Engineering that did our, and get them on site. Well, I mean, Houston's flooding, and we're pressuring these guys. We got Chris on the phone, backup. He had the CBRE team, PCA team down there to do the same thing in case we couldn't get somebody. Because you couldn't drive around a lot of parts of the cities. Got people on the properties, and they were all unscathed. There was nothing, no damage from the storm. You had a few minor things that were revealed by the storm. But if you put six inches of water on a roof, you know, there's roof penetrations. You're going to have a leak here and there, minor stuff, or a window seal when you've got horizontally blowing rain. Minor stuff, we got a, we got a report from the group, made the lenders happy, okay, we're ready to close. And along comes Irma, and we've got an asset in Jacksonville, Florida. So we went through the same thing, and Tommy Tiff's group, Health America, is managing for um, Harrison Street down there, they're gonna continue to manage it for us. Um, his property manager was stuck on the beach and couldn't get across the causeways to the property. Tommy calls his brother-in-law or, or stepbrother-in-law or somebody and to get over there. And the property was elevated. He had a few leaves, nothing on it, got on the roof. Rooftop units were fine. And uh, we closed on Tuesday. Closed actually into everything on the title company on Monday and closed technically funded on on Monday on Tuesday and that's just part of the story <laughs> uh, I don't know if we need to get into the other part <laughs> and uh, how did you celebrate the closing I haven't went, I went straight to a meeting with Goldman Sachs for raising money for our next fund so it hasn't even really sunk in yet it, it hasn't but um, we're gonna do something fun it's just coordinating with all these parties to get together, we'll, we'll do something fun. I, I think that tells you a lot about how we all work together because none of us, it's, it's none of us popped the champagne cork, so hey, we're done. It was all such a sense of relief. We had the classic deal fatigue of, we, we kept pushing and pushing and pushing, working on both sides, trying to get the deal done. And when it was finally done, it was like, wow, wasn't that anticlimactic? You yeah, know, we're like- it, And I told, I actually told Eric Miner, a guy that works, you know, works for me, he's a phenomenal guy. In the early stages of this, when we thought we had lost the deal and we're running, he ran 10,000, you know, 10,000 economic runs and we're pushing, I said, we're going to buy this thing. It was one o'clock in the evening, one, one o'clock in the morning one night. And I said, 
we're going to end up buying this deal. And I promise you, when we finally get it closed, and I don't know when that's going to be, it will be anticlimactic. I said, remember this time right now when it's, it's, when it's an impossible goal and we're still trying. And I said, when you look back, this is going to be the fun part. When you're stretching to, for something that you don't know that you can get done and the odds are against you, um, you'll look back and say, this was the fun part. Because when it closes, it was kind of like I hit the, I hit the fund, funding email and walked out of the offices of Lazard and went down to Goldman Sachs and started talking about Fund 3, and that was it. I, mean, I knew I was going to see everybody here this week. I mean, I, um, I, will, I will say about Met Properties, you guys, and I think Steve will echo this, you, you did what you said you were going to do, and you were focused on getting the deal done and not finding excuses to um, renegotiate or do something different than what you set out to. Right. Uh, very, very much focused. Problem solve. With your with your, your blinders on, head down, problem solve. If some, if a curveball is thrown, how do you work around it to get to a solution? For sure. Yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll end this conversation by as kind of as I began. And uh, you can't get this done with this, with this many players without having really, really good people. I never felt like it was buyer against seller, lender against borrower. It was truly, there was a hundred people that worked on this transaction, and, and including you know third-party contractors and things like that, and 30. When you take the principals, their attorneys, um, 30 people all different personalities, different parts of the transaction, different agenda, but all with a common goal of getting this done. And I never felt like it was us against them. We had 12 people on our side. Yeah. I mean, I never, it was probably 50 people working on it. I never felt at any point in time that this was us against them. It was a bunch of guys that we all like and respect in the industry. Um, this time we were the buyers and they were the sellers. You know, yesterday we're the, we're the sellers and they're the buyers working collaboratively uh, towards a common goal. And it was really, really gratifying. To be politically correct, we had guys and girls were involved. That's <laughs> very true. So. All right, gentlemen, that's, a, that's an amazing story. Any last parting shots, comments? Thank, thank you, Steve, and thank you, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you for giving us an opportunity to perform. Well, thank you for everything you did, and you did everything and, and more that you, you committed to. So. Ultimate respect. If you write a book about this, you, you don't have any licensing rights right now. We have to work on that. <laughs> it, it's been quite a journey. It really has. It's one of it, this. You know, the, the Martha Harris, who works for Thompson Knight, does a lot of. The, we've done three hundred million dollars worth of deals with with her as counsel for Capital One. I was talking to her Saturday morning. I went to a friend's wedding in Jackson Hole last weekend. Spent my entire time in the hotel room. I almost missed the wedding. Um, we were late, but um, I was talking to Martha Saturday morning, and she said, this is the most challenging, complicated deal that she's ever worked on in her entire career. Leave it to us to create it. To <laughs> yeah. So, but you know what, at the end of the day, those are the, you know, it can, you keep doing the same thing over and over again. It's, you, know, you make money, uh, but it can get repetitive. Um, although it's, it may be challenging and frustrating when you're in the middle of it, I think you know doing things that are challenging and different and fun are actually the fun part of what we do. Yeah. So. Sure. You should do a, you know, a collage of people. 
for for your for your cover of HREI. So I don't think we have a big enough cover. <laughs> I'm trying to think of so You'd have to do it on the internet where the space is unlimited. Yeah. You know. Steve, you'll, I don't know if I told you this. I think I may have told you, yeah, told you yeah. this, but you know, you you always do a kind of a project, a code name for a project. Yeah. And I codenamed this project Greyhound, and people said, "Well, why why Project Greyhound? I don't get it." I said, "Because we were the dog that caught the bus." Yeah. We caught the Greyhound bus. So, Project Greyhound. And we caught it and we ate it. Yeah. We didn't get run over, it ate us. It almost ran us over. It tried, <laughs> it tried, it tried, but we whipped it back. So, it was, it's been a fascinating uh, one for the, one for the well, books. The sad part is we're going to be bored with any transaction we do. Yeah, yeah. going forward, yeah. <laughs> now you have your story. Well, thanks, guys. That was awesome. That really was. Thank you, fellas. Yeah. Thank you. It's been awesome. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you.